I don't know if you've ever enjoyed a celebratory breakfast or not. But chances are, if you have, it was connected to either fishing or hunting in some way. Both of which take place often early in the morning. I can honestly say there are few meals that I have enjoyed as much as a great breakfast after great success, either on the water or in the woods. Now, if that touches a nerve with you at all like it does me, I think you're going to like the way that John wraps up his life story of Jesus. And you would figure this much for John. Because before he was sent out by Jesus to catch men for life, he was catching fish for a living. And so it makes sense he would have to include in his Jesus story a whopper of a fish story. As we've seen over the last year, there is much about the Gospel of John that's unique and different to the other Gospels. But how he ends the life story of Jesus, his version of it fits that bill to a T. It's almost like there's two endings. In the first ending, John, or rather Jesus, has been resurrected, and he's returned to his disciples for some show and tell with the scars. We remember that from last week, and that was done particularly for Thomas. And it is because Thomas wasn't there the first time that he appeared to the ten and revealed his scars to them. We find out Thomas wasn't about to take anybody's word. I don't care if there was nine other guys who were saying so. Unless he was seeing, he wasn't believing. And I love this about Jesus. Rather than be put out with Thomas for being so stubborn, Jesus obliges Thomas for being so thorough. And he appears again in their midst and demonstrates that he indeed is back from the dead, just as he had predicted. And once more, the testimony of the scars turns a doubter into a believer. And we remember Jesus' response to that. Because he's looking over and past Thomas to us who are hearing it for the first time, maybe today. Because you have seen me, Jesus wrote, you believed? Well, blessed are those who've never seen and yet have believed. Now, it's just after those words that John steps in and narrates what sounds like the wrap-up for his gospel. See if it sounds that way to you. Here it is. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That sounds like an ending to me. And if you didn't know that there was another chapter still to come, that sounds, I think, like a great ending. And I think it probably was originally the way John intended to write his letter. But then he remembered, wait a minute, i got to tell him about the fish story. Remember, he's a fisherman who loves great fishing stories. And I know there's probably some great ones floating here in this room, uh, but this one's a whopper of a fish story. It happens in Jesus' third appearance that John chronicles in his gospel. This is the third time after his resurrection that Jesus reveals himself to some people. But it's not in a room this time. It's on a beach. Now we have no idea how long between the second appearance when Jesus shows his scars to Thomas and this next moment on a seashore. But it may have been pretty lengthy. Lengthy enough for what was probably a group of pretty stoked up apostles having seen the scars, having having been forgiven by Jesus for their betrayal and their running. I mean, they're ready to go change the world like they had set out to do before that cross stuff. And 
this resurrection. Now more than ever with this resurrected Jesus, they're ready and they're stoked about it. But that's in Jerusalem. John chapter 21, they're not in Jerusalem anymore. They're back in Galilee. They don't seem to be stoked at all. As a matter of fact, Peter suggests they go and do a little fishing. And it seems like it's not just bored or, or maybe not just because they're broke, but they seemed really, really bummed about this. Now, by fishing, John is not talking about getting a pole and a couple of worms and heading out to the bank to spend a couple of hours. No, John's talking about launching a large boat, loading some heavy nets that smell of seaweed and dried fish scales, and heading out for the night fishing. That's the kind of fishing he's talking about. The kind of fishing that three years earlier was the way that Peter, James, and John provided for their families. And I want to hit a pause button and say, Lord, we'd love to have a little bit more narration from John here about what was going on, especially in this guy Peter who suggests they go do some fishing. Does Peter remember the first moment when he met Jesus? When he and his buddies are doing a little fishing then, and I mean emphasis on little, because they had caught nothing all night long. I mean, out went the net, followed by the slap of the, the net on the water. There was the short wait, the long pull, and then the high hope that maybe this time there would be a catch. And there wasn't. And they did it again. Out went the nets, the clack of the, of the net as it hit the water, the short wait, the long pull, and the high hope that maybe something. And there was nothing. Again and again. And all night long they had fished, the text says. And they're back taking care of their nets, getting ready maybe for the next day's catch when all of a sudden there's this, this rabbi who's teaching some things they haven't ever quite heard before. Just off the edge of their bow. And this rabbi turns to Peter and says, what do you say we go do some fishing? And this professional fisherman says, Lord, we've been doing this all night long. We hadn't caught a thing. And he said, just put out and let's see if we can catch something. Out goes the net again. The crack of the water as the net hits the ground. The short wait, the long pull. And Peter doesn't have high hopes. They haven't caught a thing. But I am telling you, Bam! I'm telling you, bam, that thing hits, and it's a tug, and, and it's, it's, boys, we need some help over here. And, and Peter and John and James are all together there, and they're loading fish as fast as they can, and their boat starts to swamp, and it is nuts. But I don't think that's what Peter remembers from that day so much. It's not the great catch as much as it was the great question at the end of that catch when Jesus says, hey, what do you say? You leave your nets and catching fish, and come catch some men with me. And they do. I think maybe what would have been more surprising than the question Jesus asked is the response Peter gives. They do. Peter, James, and John leave. And when we come to John chapter 21, that was some time ago. For three years, they had walked everywhere where Jesus had walked. They'd slept everywhere that Jesus had slept, ate the food that he ate, shared the triumphs with the weakest among the Jews and the threats from the strongest of the Jews. And all of it started when Jesus stepped into his life to do a little fishing. And when we come to John chapter 21, that day, however, though, is far, far, far behind him. 
And maybe Peter's thinking about fishing, but probably if I had to place a bet, it would be what he's thinking about is his denying, not fishing. Not when Jesus walked into his life, but when Jesus turned his back on his life. His rabbi had warned that he would on the night that both Braden and um, Elijah referred to on the night that he was to be crucified, on the night that the Passover lambs are to be sacrificed. Um, he warned, you guys are going to run away, all of you. And you're going to betray me. And Peter couldn't hear that. He said, no, sir, no way. <laughs> they may all leave you, but not me. And Jesus says, way. I'm telling you before the cock crows this evening, you will have denied me not once, but three times. And Jesus was money. What he said absolutely came true. Being questioned just feet from where Jesus was standing trial, Peter caved like a wet napkin. The huge catch of fish seemed to come from nowhere, he remembers a long time ago. And this denial came out of his mouth that seemed like from nowhere. Not once, boom. Do you know? I, I think we've seen you. No, I'm telling you, I don't know this guy. Uh, no, your accent gives you away. I'm telling you, no, I, I, I don't know the man. A third time, surely we, we've seen you. Listen, obscenity, curse word, I don't know him. And the rooster crowed. I worked on that all week long. How'd I do? <laughs> Sketchy. The rooster crowing announced the break of day, yes, but it also announced the breaking of a promise. I will never leave you, Peter said. The rooster crows, and with him sounding off, Peter runs off. Is that what's going through his mind when they're fishing in the dark? How do you overcome, how do you overcome betrayal like that? How do you find your way back from betrayal like that when you've turned your back on the one you promised you'd be there for? Haven't liked pondering that question this week. Max Locator writes, the most difficult journey is back to the place where you failed. Would you agree? And you, like me, probably don't need a GPS unit to get you there. Because if you're like me, you failed a lot. Your kids, your wife, your boss, your parents, your friends, your church, your savior. You've pledged strength, you intended strength, but in the end what you delivered was weakness and failure. Don't you hate it when you overpromise and underdeliver? I hate overpromising and underdelivering. I hate the shame that comes with it and the regret that comes with it and the what do I do now that comes with it. And you're going to find some in your life, regrettably, will not forgive that. They won't. <laughs> but not with Jesus. That's what I couldn't wait to tell you, but not with Jesus. I don't care how dark the failure, there is always the light of hope. And we've written, lit, lit, we have lit the candle of hope this morning because that's exactly what Jesus wants you to take home with you. 
You may fail, you may get it wrong, you may mess it up, you may break it with others, but it's not broken with Him. Failure, yes. Sin, yes. Awful, yes. But not over with Him. There's always hope. Some of you are thinking, but you don't know me. You don't know what I did this week. Jimmy, I'm telling you, it's one too many lies. It's one too many drinks. It's one too many promises broken. It's one too many failures with my eyes or with my money or with my mouth. I'm telling you, Jimmy, there's no way His grace could reach me. Well, on behalf of God, I'm here to tell you, you're wrong. Because He made that right at a cross. He knew you couldn't do it. He knew I couldn't do it. And so he did it for us. His righteousness was on display there, on offer there, as he was taking your sin upon him and being separated God for it. He's offering us an exchange. In a word, I know you can't do this on your own. Let me help. Now, I could point you to some scriptures this morning that talk about God's powerful forgiveness. I could go, we could go to Psalms 86.5. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call upon you. Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're brand new every single morning. We could look at 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But I'd rather let John tell you a whopper of a fishing story. One last time, he lets us look together at our text through the dramatized version of John's gospel. And I've loved taking you here. Let's listen in one more time to this story told the only way John could. Let's watch After this, Jesus appeared once more to his disciples at Lake Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, the one from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples of Jesus were all together. Simon Peter said to the others, I'm going fishing. We will come with you, they told him. So they went out in a boat, but all that night they did not catch a thing. As the sun was rising, Jesus stood at the water's edge, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Young men, haven't you caught anything? Not a thing! Throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you will catch some. So they threw the net out and could not pull it back in because they had caught so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Peter heard that it was the Lord. 
He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken his clothes off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples came to shore in the boat, pulling the net full of fish. They were not very far from land, about a hundred yards away. When they stepped ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of big fish, 153 in all. Even though there were so many, still the net did not tear. Come and eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus went over, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This then was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from death. After they had eaten. Now can you see why John had to, had to write a second ending? <laughs> oh. Jesus isn't serving supper here. That was their last meal and in their old life. He's serving breakfast. This is the first meal of a new life, a resurrection breakfast like no other, prepared by the only one who knows the recipe. And go figure as to why so many of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances are connected to a meal of any kind, but they are. Because hope is always the main course in those meals. Well, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus joins them, and he soon finds that their hope's been stolen. The one that we had hoped was the Messiah, they write, turned out to be not so much. The Jewish authorities utterly crucified that hope when they put him to death. And Jesus talks to them from the scriptures why that was all necessary, and they don't recognize him. And they don't recognize the why of all of that until through the meal, through a meal similar to what we shared a few moments ago, through the breaking of the bread, their eyes are opened and hope is restored. Here in John chapter 21, Peter is sure that Jesus is alive, but he's not sure that his future as a disciple is alive. And he's fishing for answers all night in the dark when Jesus shows up at first light and he offers a great breakfast after a great catch. And I would have loved to have seen it because I love to fish. I mean, and there they were fishing all night long, catching nothing, and then the stranger from the shore offers some instructions about where to fish in the very area they've been fishing all night long. And buddy, this time when they throw the net out, and the crisp sound of that net hitting the water sounds throughout the quiet of the morning, there's the same short wait and the long hope, and again, bang a rang. Fish out the wazoo, 153 of them. They counted this time. I would have counted. Scholars for centuries have been trying to figure out what the word, what the number 153 means. I'll tell you what it means. A lot of fish. And I would have counted. We've been fishing with a couple here a couple of months back, and we counted 43 bass in less than three hours. Is that not nuts? That ain't a fish story. 153 in one catch. One cast. And John knew immediately who it was. That's got to be the Lord, Peter. And Peter, who may not have been the fastest or the sharpest, 
definitely is the most passionate because he couldn't wait for the boat to get to the shore. He throws on his cloak and buddy, he just dives in like he dives into almost everything he does. And when he gets to shore, Jesus is waiting with more than good food to share. Here's what he's got. He's got a great future for this disciple to share. Here's what John writes. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs then. Sometime later, he asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. And Jesus said, well, then shepherd my sheep. (laughs) And then a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's upset, like maybe any of us in this room would be, for the third time, do you love me? And so he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know then that I love you. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times did he offer him the chance to say, I love you? Ah, I love the way the Lord does math. I love it. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'm telling you the truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you're going to have to stretch out those hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. And he said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter, love these words, would glorify God. And then he commanded, encouraged, come on. Follow me. Wow, as great as I know maybe that fish would have tasted on that morning, those words of restoration and hope had to fill him up. But Jesus does that. One moment your life seems to be hopeless and the next possibilities are revealed you never knew existed. One moment your problems seem to be so big you can't even budge them and the next moment it seems like they've grown handles. One moment the net's empty, the next there's 153 fish flopping around in there. And I'm asking you to remember that this week. In this first week of the Christmas season, we celebrate with Peter the hope that Jesus brings to our betrayals and our failures, to our over-promising and under-delivering. And from everything we know about Peter, (laughs) he welcomed that hope right then and there. He embraced it. He relished it. Snow angeled it. But he didn't hold on to it. He gave it away or you wouldn't be here. And if it's a life that matters that you're after, you'll do the same. It always stuns me whenever I see someone extend grace to someone that's betrayed them or let them down or, or who overpromised and underdelivered to them. I love it when I see that still. I've seen it again this morning, this week, through this, this first or John chapter 21. I, I, I've loved it again as I've seen it. And I can't talk about that particular incident because I haven't asked permission yet. But I watched it this week happen. One of our own brothers and sisters, they let each other down and yet grace was extended one more time. And it stunned me. didn't have to go that way. But maybe they learned it from Jesus. He's hoping we do. That will more than just marvel at what we've seen today. That will mimic it also. Please don't wait for when grace is needed. If there's a lesson I could say, here's a takeaway that I'd suggest you consider. 
is if someone has betrayed you, if someone's let you down, if someone's broken their promise to you, if someone's hurt you, don't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. The lesson this morning goes beyond that. If you have an idea that their heart may be broken and that they really they know they messed up, here's what the text really says today. Cook them some breakfast. I'm a literalist here. Take them a Mary's taco. Go by the donut palace. Get them one of those great cinnamon rolls they sell there. Take them some jerky. That's what I do. Because that's what I can cook. Cook them some breakfast. Are you being serious? Yes. Jesus goes beyond just mercy here this morning with Peter. That would have been to say, yeah, no problem. No, he blesses his life. He's got breakfast waiting for this betrayer, for this person who's let him down, who, who promised something and didn't deliver it. He's got breakfast waiting for him. And we're still talking about it today. When are we going to get this? Quit harboring and holding on to that, that hurt that you've got, all right? If there's an inkling of repentance, if there's an inkling of you know they're sorry, cook them breakfast and see what happens. Extend the grace that Jesus extended to you. All right? I'm not talking about overlooking an offense. I am talking about where there's regret and you know it and a broken heart that you know it. Doing more than offering just a few crumbs of grace. I'm asking, offer them a meal. It just might change a life. It just might change the world, asked Peter. And he would tell you that it brought him a life that matters. Now, that was my first ending to this series of lessons, right there. But then God did something Thursday morning. It wasn't a fish story, but it's a story that I think you needed to hear. I had just had a cup of coffee with Ron Shade, my mother-in-law's favorite teacher. He got up to leave and he said, are you headed back to the office? And I said, not yet. I said, I need to do some, correct me if I'm wrong, some pondering. And I did. I wanted to think about this lesson and if much of it had already been written and, and if it was where God wanted it to be. And so I'm just kind of thinking through it. And I was intending on just giving some thought to some things that, that God and I had been working on when Marsha came up. We make our plans and then God directs our steps. I wasn't just going to do some, some listening to my thoughts. I was going to do some listening to Marsha. I'd been introduced to her just one time that I know of. Ron's got uh, a great ability to meet people, and he's met a lot of people at Starbucks, and he and his lovely bride hang out there and just bless people's lives uh, in the morning early. And Marsha's been one of them. And so I got a chance to meet her probably months and months ago, but she stopped out of the blue, and she said, Did Ron ever tell you what my husband and I did for the Lord? And I said, No, he didn't. And so she started in. She said, um, we were given a very unique ministry by God. We are both believers and both have felt the call to share our story and how God's changed that story with his story with anybody who would listen. And God gave us an opportunity to go to Bandera to promote tourism and to do it through ventriloquism. 
And I thought, now that is unique. And so they did for years. I think over 10, maybe 15 years, I forget exactly the number. But they used that dummy right there, whose name is Gene Autry, or some kind of a name after that. I, I, I know I'm not getting that right, but it's cute. Gene Autry. And they traveled to expos and, and stock shows and to trade shows on behalf of Bandera to promote tourism there. Now, the Chamber of Commerce respected their faith, but they asked them not to talk about Jesus on chamber time. And so they respected that request. But the Chamber, however, allowed them to print something on the back of their business card with a message to connect others with Christ. That if they were so interested and happened to turn over their business card, they would see this. It pictures a cowboy having just been bucked off a horse. And it simply says, been bucked off? Jesus gives rewrites. I know you recognize the scripture on the far left. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But you may not know John 40 verse 31. But it's this second scripture that I think was the God wink for me. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall and make mistakes. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Marcia said, I apologize for just wandering over uninvited to tell you all that story. But she said, I try to listen to the spirit when he spurs this old horse on. And I told Marcia, it just so happens I'm preaching about the re-ride that Jesus gave Peter this week. And she smiled and said, that's a message we all need to hear over and over again. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe for a lifetime we need to hear this over and over again. Father in heaven, as we come to the second ending of this series, I'm asking you to please stir within us a new hope for some of us who walked in here today just ashamed and burdened and worried. That we're just, we've just been so weak this week. We've promised so much and it seems like we deliver so little. And we do wonder in our flesh, how could you keep taking us back? But once again, God, through this major league betrayer, you've helped us to hear hope again. And I just want to ask, if you've, if you've brought someone here today who, who didn't a few moments ago let a shepherd wrap their arms around them to pray over them, that you'll, you'll nudge them to come and have us do that now so that we can speak grace and speak mercy and speak hope over their lives again. That they would embrace that and relish that. But they would leave here and more so, they would offer that. God, we have, a, have an idea. It just might change our families if we would. That it just might change our town if we would. If we would be outrageous in how we forgave and offered grace to people. We ask you to help us do what we can't do on our own. In Jesus' name and everyone said if you'd like to give your life to Christ this morning, rededicate that life, or just get some energy for the week you've got to face, let's stand and let's sing.